Chapter One of the Homesteader. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phyllis Vincelli. The Homesteader by Oscar Michaud. Chapter One, Epic the Second, regarding the intermarriage of races it was winter and the white snow lay everywhere icicles hung from the eaves all work on the farms was completed people were journeying to a town halfway between bone steel and gregory to take the train for their former homes others to spend it with their relatives and jean baptiste was taking it for chicago and new york where he went as a rule at the end of each year he was going with an air of satisfaction apparently for in truth he had everything to make him feel so that is almost everything he had succeeded in the west the country had experienced a most profitable season and the crop he reaped and sold had made him in round numbers the sum of seven thousand five hundred dollars he had paid for the two hundred acres of land he had bargained for he had seeded more land in the autumn just past to winter wheat which had gone into the winter in the best of shape his health was the best for what more could he have wished and yet no man was more worried than he when he stepped from the stage onto the platform of the station where he was to entrain for the east it is barely possible that any man could have been more sad to explain this we are compelled to go back a few months back to the harvest time to his homestead and where he sat with someone near very near and what followed i couldn't help it i loved you love you have loved you always he passionately told her for answer she had yielded again her lips and all the love of her warm young heart went out to him i don't understand you always dear he whispered sometimes there is something about you that puzzles me i think it's in your eyes but i do understand that whatever it is is something good it couldn't be otherwise could it no jean she faltered and did you wonder at my calling your name that night i've never understood that fully until now she replied you came in a vision and it must have been divine two years ago gone now she heard him and ever since your face dear has been before me i have loved it and of course i knew that i would surely love you when you came isn't it strange she whispered but beautiful so beautiful was it providence or was it god that brought you that night and saved me from the slow death that was coming over me agnes please jean don't don't speak again of that awful night surely it must have been some divine providence that brought me to this place 
but I can never recall it without a tremor. To think that you would have died out there. Please, never tell me of it again, dear. She trembled and nestled closer to him, while her little heart beat a tattoo against her ribs. They looked up then, as across the field her half-witted brothers were approaching. It was only then that they seemed to realize what had transpired, and upon realization they silently disembraced. What had passed was the most natural thing in the world, true, and to them it had come because it was in them to assert themselves. But now before him rose the custom of the country and its law. So vital is this custom, so much is it a part of the body politic that certain states have went on record against it, not because any bad or good, any wealth or poverty was involved. It had been because of sentiment, the sentiment of the stronger faction. So it ruled. In the lives of the two in our story, no thought but to live according to God's law and the law of the land had ever entered their minds. But now they had, while laboring under the stress of the pent-up excitement and emotion, overruled and forgot the law two races are wont to observe, and had given vent and words to the feeling which was in them. They stood conventionally apart now, each absorbed in the calm realization of their positions in our great American society. They were obviously disturbed, but that which had drawn them to the position they had occupied and declared still remained, and that was love. So time had gone on as time will, never stopping for anything, never hesitating, never delaying. So the day went, and the week, and the month, and the month after that, and the month after that, until in time the holidays were near and Jean-Baptiste was going away, a way to forget that which was more to him than all the world, the love of Agnes Stewart. He had considered it. He had considered it before he caught the one he loved into his arms and said the truth that was in him. But there was another side to it that will have much space in our story. Down the line a few stations from where he now was, there lived an example. A man had come years ago into the country there, a strong, powerfully built man. He was healthy, he was courageous, and he was dark, because, forsooth, the man was a negro. And so it had been with time this man's heart went out to the one nearby, a white, because of his race, it was with him as with Jean-Baptiste. Near him there had been none of his kind. So unto himself he had taken a white wife. He had loved her, and she had loved him. And because it was so, she had given to him children. And when the children had come, she died. And after she had died and some years had passed, he took unto himself another wife of the same blood and to that union there had come other children. So when years had passed, and these selfsame children had reached their majority, they too took unto themselves wives, and the wives were of the Caucasian blood. 
but when this dark man had settled in the land below which at that time had been a new country he decided to claim himself as otherwise than he was he said and said again that he was of mexican descent mongrel forsooth but there was no custom of the country with regard to the mexican mongrel though he be but the people and the neighbors all knew that he lied and that he was ethiopian the witch looked out through his eyes but even to merely claim being something else was a sort of compromise so his family had grown to men and women and they in turn brought more children into the world and all claimed allegiance to a race other than the one to which they belonged once lived a man who was acknowledged as great and much that goes with greatness was given unto him by the public a negro he was but as a climax in his great life he had married a wife of that race that is superior in life wealth and achievements to his own the caucasian so it had gone the first named jean baptiste never felt he could be quite like even if he should disregard the custom of the country and its law and marry agnes he did not feel he would ever attempt that but to marry out of the race to which he belonged especially into the race in which she belonged would be the most unpopular thing he could do he had set himself in this new land to succeed he had worked and slaved to that end he liked his people he wanted to help them examples they needed and such he was glad he had become but if he married now the one he loved the example was lost he would be condemned he would be despised by the race that was his moreover last but not least he would perhaps by such a union bring into her life much unhappiness and he loved her too well for that jean baptiste had decided he loved agnes and had every reason to but he forswore he would change it he would go back from where he had come he would be a man as befitted him to be he would find a girl he would marry in his race they had education they were refined well he would marry one of them anyhow so jean baptiste was going he would forget agnes he would court one in his own race so to chicago he now sped he had lived in the windy city before going west and was very familiar with that section of the city on the south side that is the center of the negro life of that great metropolis accordingly he approached a station in the loop district entered one of the yellow cars and took a seat he looked below with the hurly-burly of life and action and then his eyes took survey of the car it was empty all save himself and another and that other was a girl a girl of his race the first he had seen since last he was in the city how little did she know as she sat across the aisle from him that she was the first of his race his eyes had looked upon for the past twelve months he regarded her curiously she was of that crossbred type that are so numerous 
full bloods seemingly to have become rare about those parts. She was of a light brown complexion, almost a mulatto. She seemed about twenty-two years of age. Of the curious eyes upon her, she seemed entirely unaware, finally leaving the train at a station that he was familiar with and disappeared. At 31st Street, he left the train, fell in with the scattered crowd below, and the dash of the city life was his again in a twinkling. He found his way to State Street, the great thoroughfare of his people. The novelty in viewing those of his clan now had left him, for they were all about. Even had he been blind, he could have known he was among them, for was not there the usual noise, the old laugh, and all that went with it? He hurried across and passed down 31st to Dearborn Street, dark town proper. But even when he had reached Federal, then called Armour, he had seen nothing but his race. He had friends, at least acquaintances, so to where they lived he walked briskly. "'And if it isn't Jean Baptiste, help me, Jesus,' cried the woman, as she opened the door in response to his knock, and without further ceremony encircled his neck with her arms and kissed his lips once and twice. "'You old dear,' she explained with him inside, holding him at arm's length and regarding him fondly. "'How are you anyhow?' "'Oh, fine,' he replied, regarding her pleasantly. "'You are certainly looking good,' she said, looking up into his face with fun in her eyes. "'Sit down, sit down and make yourself at home,' she invited, drawing up a chair. "'Well, how's Chicago?' he inquired irrelevantly. "'Same old Berg,' she replied, drawing a chair up close. And "'How's hubby?' "'Fine.' "'And the rest of the family?' The "'Same. Pearl, too.' "'Oh, Pearl. How is Pearl?' "'Still single.' "'Thought she was engaged to be married when I was here last year.' "'Oh, that fellow was no good.' "'What was the matter?' "'What's the matter with lots of these nigger men round Chicago? "'They can't keep a wife proposing on State Street.' Hm. "'It's truth.' "'And how about the woman? "'They seem to be fond of passing along to be posed at. "'Oh, you're mean,' she pouted. "'Then are you married, Jeff?' "'Oh, Lordy, how could I get married?' Not thirty minutes ago I saw the first colored girl I've seen in a year. Oh, you're a liar. It's the truth. Is it so, Jean? Have you really not seen a colored girl in a whole year? I've never lied to you, have I? Well, no, of course you haven't, but I don't know what I would do under such circumstances. Not seeing niggas for a year? But I've seen enough already to make up she laughed. Lordy me. Did you ever see so many shines as there are on State Street? She paused and her face became a little serious for a moment. By the way, Jean, why don't you marry my sister? You're shameful. Your sister wouldn't have me. I'm a farmer. Oh, yes, she would. 
Pearl's getting tired of getting engaged to these Negroes around Chicago. She likes you anyhow. Tut, tut. He laughed depreciatingly. Pearl would run me ragged out there on that farm. She laughed, too. No, she wouldn't, really. Pearl is good-looking and is tired of working. She's good-looking, all right, and perhaps tired of working, but she wouldn't do out there on the farm. Oh, you won't do. I'll bet you're married already. Oh, Mrs. White. But you're engaged. Nope. Jean, I'll bet you marry a white girl out there and have nothing more to do with niggers. Now you're worse. And when you marry a white woman, I want to be the first one to shoot you and the leg. He laughed long and uproariously. You can laugh all you want, but you ain't going through life loving nobody. You got a girl somewhere. But do what you please, so long as it don't come to that. Come to what? Marrying a white woman. Wouldn't that be all right? She looked up at him with a glare. He smiled amusedly. Don't you laugh here on a subject like that, Lord. I think lots of you. But if I should hear that you had married a white woman, man, I'd steal enough money to come there and kill you dead. Why would you want to do that? Why would I want to do that? Hmph. What do you want to ask me such a question for? The idea. But you haven't answered my question. She glared at him again, all the humor gone out of her face. Presently, biting at the thread in some sewing she was doing, she said, In the first place, white people and negroes have no business marrying each other. In the second place, a nigger only gets a poor white woman. And in the third place, white people and niggers don't mix well when it comes to society. Now, supposing you married a white woman and brought her here to Chicago, who would you associate with? We niggers shall go to pass her up. And the white folks, you better not look their way. He was silent. Ain't I outlined it right? You revealed some very delicate points with regard to the matter, he acknowledged. Of course I have, and you can't get away from it. But that ain't all. Now, to be frank with you, I wouldn't care so much about some trifling no-count nigger marrying some old white woman, but that ain't the kind no white woman wants when she stoops so low as to marry a nigger. Ah, uh, no, nah, not indeedy. She don't fool with nothing like that. She leaves that kind for some poor colored woman to break her heart and get her head broken over. She marries somebody like you with plenty of money and sense with it, see? He laughed amusedly. No laughing in it. You know I'm telling the truth, so take warning. Don't marry no white woman up there and come trotting down here expecting for me to give you blessing, because if you do... And just as sure as my name is Ida White, I'm going to do something to you. But a white woman might help a fellow to get up in the world, he argued. Yes, I'll admit that too. But our burden is our burden, and we've got to bear it. And besides, you can get a girl that'll help you when you really want a wife. That ain't no argument. Of course, I'd like to see Pearl married. But you ain't going to fool with her, and I know it. 
Pearl thinks she would like it better if she could marry somebody from out of Chicago, but they'd all be the same after a month or so with her. Well, said he, I'd better get over to the Keystone. You've interested me today. I, I've learned something regarding the amalgamation of races. I hope you have, if you had it in your mind. Anything else might be forgiven, but marrying a white woman? Never. They parted then, she to her sewing, and Jean-Baptiste to his thoughts. End of chapter one, epic the second, regarding the intermarriage of races.